Let's take our Bibles and go to the book of Ruth. <clears throat> We're starting a brand new series this morning, and we'll be in Ruth for the next few Sundays in December. And before we really break it open, dude, you wrote that song? That's, that is so cool. Thank you, Stephanie, for embarrassing Daniel and letting us know. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, uh, you know, there's so, there's so many people who serve in so many ways here. Uh, Rocky Mount Baptist from the, the worship ministry or choir, praise team, worship team, children. It's just an awesome, awesome family to be a part of. And seriously, I love you guys. I really do. And, uh, and I am looking forward to what God has for us in the future. I really am. And um, just, just so you know, uh, we'll talk about this more next week, but I was just looking over some, some documents over here the last couple of, the, couple of years and to see all of the life change that God has chosen to do among us is uh, a beautiful, awesome, amazing thing. And for each and every one of you guys that has, you've come here, uh, we've had many folks come and they say, man, I've not really been around like Church has just not been my thing. I didn't grow up in church. My family, we didn't do the whole church thing. Or if we did, it was just really terrible. Like I couldn't wait to get out of there. Or we just had a really bad church experience. And, and we have so many folks who've come. And, and not, not Jeff, uh, not anyone here, but God has chosen to use his word and change your heart and change your life. And now we're brothers and sisters together. And to see you guys come and, and many have been changed from the inside out and then begin to reach out to people that you know and you, you're sharing the gospel outside these walls and you say, well, why don't you come to the worship gathering with, that we have on Sunday and they come and they hear the gospel. And it's just, an, it's, it's unusual. And may God have mercy on our nation when it's, when it's unusual for churches who claim to believe the Bible um, see so little life change. And I also want to say, I'm so pumped by by, and I've had conversations with a lot of you guys, and, and you're still working through it. You're like, man, I'm, I'm not. Like, there's the line between, you know, I, like thinking that God is there and me actually trusting him with my life. I mean, going all in, saying, Jesus, take over my heart. Change me. You know, I want to be saved. I want to live for you. I'm totally good with following through with believers' baptize, uh, baptism. In fact, I can't wait to get up there and to show people I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And many of you guys are working through that. I would just encourage you to do what Jesus said and seek that you may find, knock, and the door will be open to you. And I'm just so blessed. We have, and those of you who are longtime church people, it may be good to remember from time to time that every single week we have people here in this room, in this big room, listening to the gospel, but they've not yet come to the place of saying, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. And so we need to be thankful for that. Because many churches you go in, it's churched people who knew church people, and church growth is actively trying to steal other church people from other churches. When Jesus said go fishing, he didn't mean go to your friend's fish aquarium and steal fish. <laughs> like he meant strap up and go fishing. Like you don't go fishing in the bathtub. And like if you do, you're weird. <laughs> and if you catch stuff in your bathtub, you're even weirder. 
Like, I mean, seriously, like Jesus said to go into the highways and the byways, man, and compel them to come in. So here's the thing. Whether you call yourself a disenchanted church member, whether you're a secularist, whether you're agnostic, atheist, whether you're just trying to find out what's really true, I personally, and we as a church are so glad that you chose to be with us at Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. And we believe in a sovereign God, and check this out, who we believe seeking and finding and knocking, but we believe that a sovereign God is seeking you long before you had any idea of wanting to give your life to him. Because the Bible tells us, man, we, this is a whole other sermon that we don't want God naturally. We want to do what we want to do. We want to do what makes us feel comfortable. But the Bible tells us that we didn't love God first, that he loved us first. So if you're here and you're, you're, you're seeking truth, you may, just, you may just want to think about this. This is a rock and a chew. The fact that you're even here, like you're in a church, God help you, you're in a Baptist church. Like, seriously, Sunday, you are here and you're seeking. Maybe that's just a small little rock in the shoe of saying maybe God is doing bigger things in my life than I even realize. Because not too long ago, I didn't want anything to do with church, man. Sunday morning, you see, I'm busy. I have stuff to do. But you're here. Praise be to God. I love you guys, man. This is going to be an awesome, awesome look through the book of Ruth. It's a short book. If you're not working through anything specifically in your own personal Bible readings, um, I would encourage you to do this throughout the month of December. It's just uh, four short chapters. It's a narrative of something that happened to real people. And I think that this is one of the most curious chapters in God's entire story of redemption. Because normally when you come to church in December, what sermon do you hear time and time again? Jesus in the manger. That is part of the Christmas story. But it's interesting when you read the Old Testament to see how God was at work long before the wise men uh, ever showed up and long before Jesus was born. And so we'll go through the book of Ruth. And I want to talk to you this morning from Ruth chapter 1 on this topic, starting over, starting over. You know, sometimes in life... You have to come to a place where you say, you know, even with circumstances that are out of my control, I'm having to start over. And I want to encourage you this morning that starting over is not below God's radar. Often we think that when we have to start over, when we hit the wall, that somehow God has missed us. But the book of Ruth shows us that through incredible suffering, that God is still at work even by those, in those things that are incredibly painful. So here's the thing. Here's the reason why I think we should pay attention to the book of Ruth. Number one, it's in the Bible. Like it's, it's in the Bible, all right? Number two, and we will not ask for a show of hands, but for those of you who've listened to the song, Beyonce, All the Single Ladies... If you're a single lady in here and you would just look like for a young man to put a ring on it, you need to track with this book. Nervous laughter all across the room, all right? This is an awesome book for single ladies, but also, guys, we're going to look at, and ladies, we're going to look at a guy next week named Boaz. Man, if you want your son to be, like, that is a man's name. What's your name? Boaz. You know, it's like, well, here's my lunch money, right? Just, just keep the lunchbox as well. He's an awesome guy. And so, guys, this is an awesome thing, single ladies and single guys, to see how a biblical relationship is supposed to work in terms of community and family, but also for all of us. If you have not walked through a valley in your life, you probably will before it's all said and done. And often when we walk through these times of feeling like we have to start over, 
Whatever that may be, it may be job loss, family stuff. It seems like, man, everything that I've worked for has just gone out the window and I'm having to start over. Often when we have to start over and things happen, we have the tendency to isolate ourselves and we'll see how this happened in chapter one, but how God intervened. So here's, here's kind of the setting for the book of Ruth. It actually occurred during the time of the judges. And if you open up your Bible or turn it on your phone, you flip back one book and you find uh, probably the rated R book uh, completely all the way through of the Old Testament. The book of Judges is gritty. I mean, the, the book of Judges talks about the period between when the Israelites conquered most of the promised land and then when the kings came in. So it was around a 400-year period of time, 400 years, and during that time, it was pretty much anarchy. And every time, this is what would happen. The people would begin to, to rebel against God. Then God would bring in foreigners and they would oppress the people and the people would hit rock bottom Then they would cry out to God and God would send a military deliverer. They would, the military deliverer would drive out the oppressors and then the people would begin to prosper and then the people would say, you know what, I'm doing great, I don't need God anymore and then they would rebel, God would bring in foreign oppressors to humble his people and it was the cycle that happened every single time. But when you read the book of Judges, you notice that every cycle, even though there's repentance in that generation, the whole nation begins to go lower and lower and lower and lower to the point that they had civil war that almost resulted in the annihilation of the tribe of Benjamin. And the book concludes there in Judges chapter 21 in verse 25. The Bible says in those days, and this is, these are in the days that we'll talk about these next few weeks. There was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This was not even radical libertarianism. This was absolute, complete anarchy. But even in those times, we'll see that God was working his plan of redemption, And even in those times of cultural decline, which there's a lot of problems culturally in the United States right now, we are besieged from outside and inside, and many people are saying we see the decline in all sorts of different areas. I want to encourage you from the book of Ruth that even in those times of cultural decline, there are awesome examples of God bringing beauty from ashes. So here's the characters. We have Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz that will bring in as we work through this story. So let's go to verse number one. The Bible says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem. Where was Jesus born? He was born in Bethlehem, in Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So here's the scenes of starting over. What we see at the very beginning of this book is that they had to relocate this family because of famine. Now notice where they relocated to. It was the country of Moab. If you've read your Bible uh, about Moab, Moab has a pretty sketchy history. Like if you read Genesis 19, I'm going to give you the skinny of it. But basically, Lot and his two daughters had escaped Sodom. And they were there and they looked down and they saw, I mean, God destroyed all of Sodom and the cities on the plain. Single ladies. And your mom just got turned into a pillar of salt. They literally thought, that they would never find another man. They're like, it's done. 
So this, for those of you who think that the Bible is like a collection of ancient myths with big words that nobody understands, man, the Bible is far from it. The Bible contains, I mean, real raw stories about real people. So here's what they did, ladies. They said, we want children. There's no more men left because we were in Sodom our whole life. Like that's everybody we knew died. So let's get dad drunk. They got him, I mean, this is how drunk they got him. They got him so drunk that one daughter slept with him. And then the next night, they got him drunk again, and the other daughter did. And one of the daughters gave birth to a son who was the father of Moab. Time out. You're a Jew. You're Elimelech. You are Naomi. You're this family. that He said, man, there's no, there's no water. It's just a famine. Let's relocate to Sketchtown. Like, think about it. The Jewish people, I mean, the, the law talks about sexual purity, and they're going to have to relocate to the side of the tracks to where their daddy's daddy's granddaddy's granddaddy's mom got hooked up with her dad after he had too much of grandpa's cough medicine. That, that's incredibly humiliating. And not only that, notice it says that in verse 2, and the, the, the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of the two sons were Malon and Chilion. And notice they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, here's where it gets from bad to worse, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. All right. You're Naomi. You're the mom. You have to relocate with your husband to a place that is humiliating but probably dangerous as well. Then your husband actually dies, and then your sons try to find wives. And Have you ever seen moms when they meet prospective young ladies to date their sons? Have y'all ever noticed that? Well, those of y'all, like, my, my mom's cool, and she loves Jen, and they, they get along great, but I, I've seen it before. To where it's, it's really funny to where the ladies are like, oh, hi, how are you? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're given the, the treatment of the eye, and then, oh, yeah, fine, everything. I don't know if I like her. You know, like, is she going to be good enough for my son? Like, it's probably better than a mom be like, I don't care. Somebody take him off my hands, Right? I mean, here she is, she's in a foreign country with foreign people, and her two sons find Moabite wives. Now, anytime there is a marriage, the son gets married, the daughter gets married, there's a dynamic change in the relationship, right? But her sons married Moabite wives. History in a minute. Do you know who the Moabite's chief deity was? pagan god named Chemosh. And guess how one of the ways that you worshipped Chemosh? Ritual sex and orgies in temples and or human sacrifice. And you think that your daughter-in-law has a rough background. <laughs> Let that sink in. Like it wasn't in that day like, well, I'm an Israelite, but I kind of hang out with this, right? You know, like Americans, just because somebody's from American does not mean that they are a Christian by any means. 
But in that day, your religion and your cultural identity and your worth was all in the same. So here she is, a woman from Israel, and her sons marry these wives, and then notice her husband died. But then in verse number uh, four and five, her sons, Malon and Chilion, died so that she was left without, without her two sons and her husband. Who is she left with? Two foreign daughters-in-law. So for the ladies in the room that enjoy comfort, that enjoy being in a place to where you feel comfortable, being around people that you know very well, you could think of few things that would make a woman feel more vulnerable than Ruth. So they were trying to integrate into this foreign, hostile culture. They had to take a socioeconomic step down probably and definitely a swallow a lot of pride as Jews going to Moab. Not only that, but she had the untimely death of her sons and her husband. I mean, this is unspeakable, unspeakable loss. And the names of her sons, Malon means sickly and Chilion means, or Chilion means wasting away. So here she is. She had to relocate because of a famine. But then we see there in verse 6, she arose with her daughters-in-law to, here's a key word in the Old Testament, to return to the land of Israel. There was the relocation and then there, there was the return to where she decides to go back. And then it's like Naomi, the mom who's experienced all of this loss. She begins to plead with her daughters-in-law to simply leave. She says in verse 8, go each of you to your, to your mother's house that the Lord, may the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them which was the custom, and they lifted up their voices and they wept. You see, she actually, even in this moment of grief, grief, it's two sides of the same coin. In one hand, she said, leave me. Let me be in my grief. But there's also a sense in what Naomi's trying to do is say, look, I, you got, we have different backgrounds, but you've been great for my family, but leave me. Like, I've got what Americans many call times bad luck. Like, luck doesn't exist. Everything's with under the sovereignty of God. But she's saying, just stay away from me. Like, I want you to have a husband. I can't birth you any more babies. Even if I were to be married and somehow conceive later in life, like Sarah, there would be no way. I mean, you would be my age by the time my sons got old enough to marry you. And she says in verse 10, uh, she says, and they said to her, rather, no, we will return with you and your people. Wow. You see, Naomi in her grief is trying to push people away, but her daughters are trying to say, we will not leave you. She's actually, their daughters-in-law are saying, you know what, we can actually make a brand new family unit. Just because the men have died does not mean that we have to separate. And then they discuss it further, and and her daughter-in-law, Orpah, actually goes back to her family. There's nothing wrong with that. And she says, you know, may God be with you. But then she has a daughter-in-law named Ruth. And by the way, ladies, Proverbs 31, I don't think could be any better illustrated than through the life of Ruth. And notice in verse 15, Naomi's talking to Ruth and she said, you see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But here, Ruth begins to throw down. She says in verse 16, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. 
And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go, Ruth was a strong woman, which by the way, ladies, there's nothing wrong with being strong. You just want to be strong for the glory of God and not for selfishness. Notice it says, and when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. You see, she was saying, let me alone in my grief. But Ruth said, no, I'm going to go with you. You know what's so curious here? Naomi had lost all hope. She talked about, you know what? The hand of God has been so heavy against me. Just leave me in my grief. Guess who was talking like a Moabite? Naomi, who was the Israelite who had the knowledge of the one true God. Guess who in this narrative is acting like the Israelite? The Moabite. You see, what had happened here is that Ruth could have said, you know what? This has already been more than I signed up with. I mean, these Hebrew people, they bring bad circumstances. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to bow out gracefully, say, see ya, thanks, but I'm going to go find security. She said, no, I will be a woman that rises above my circumstances. I will not be bound and be told that I have to have these things or these people in order to be secure. I love my mother-in-law. My mother-in-law, ladies, it's her mother in law, and she is committed to the point of death. There had to be something that changed within the heart of Ruth, especially when she said, you know what, I was raised as a Moabite. My family always worshiped these false gods, but guess what, from this point, I am publicly letting you know, your God is my God. I will serve the one true God of the Bible. And here's a point of application. You, can you see how Naomi was to the point of utter hopelessness, but it may be that in our lives when God brings us through terrible circumstances, he's doing it to raise up a Ruth. And it's not just that Ruth was going to minister to Naomi. Not only may God raise up someone who's close to you or someone that you didn't even know to come alongside you in your suffering, God is raising up someone. And if we are suffering and people look at us and say, how do you endure that? And we can point to God. God will do mighty, mighty things. And notice how, how low Naomi is there in verse 20. She says to them, do not call me Naomi, which means pleasant. But call me Mara, which means bitter. She said, life has turned me bitter. But she was an Israelite. And she had heard the Old Testament. Apparently she forgot about Joseph. You guys remember Joseph? Coat of many colors, which today if you wear a coat of many colors to school, you get beat up, right? I mean, it just, just like, like a, a coat of, like, why, why would you wear that? But in that time, it was very expensive to, be, to, to wear something with colors. And his brothers hated him. And long story short, his brothers tried to kill him. He was sold as a slave. I mean, can you imagine selling your brother to Ishmaelites if you're a Jew? Ishmaelites, that's a tribe of Arabs. Even today, the Jews and the Arabs don't have the greatest relationship. They hated him that much, but yet he went through all of that suffering. Then he went to Pharaoh's house, and Pharaoh's wife had a lust problem, and she saw that he was well-built and handsome, and she told him, every day, come sleep with me. 
Like she, did, she didn't give metaphors. She just said it, and it came to the point to where she was so desiring him that she grabbed a hold of his clothes, and he ran from her, and she was left with the tunic that he was wearing. And he ran out of the house, and then she felt rejected, so she lied to her boss, Potiphar, and said that this Hebrew slave tried to force himself onto me. So he gets thrown in prison. He's in there for years. He helps guys in prison. They say, well, when I get out, I'm going to remember you, bro. Like, we're tight, man. We're good. Like, you're my home dog, you know? Like, when, when the teacher tells me to turn on my essay, I say, ain't no snitch. Like, I love you, bro. Like, I love, you know. And then they, they get out, and guess what happens? They forget him completely until God raises him up by God's sovereign hand. And the story of Joseph is in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, what God intended for evil or excuse me, what you, and men intended for evil, God intended for good. You see, here's another point of application, guys. Whenever we go through times of loss and tragedy, what that often causes us to do is to turn inward to where we forget what we already know. She said, it's turned me bitter. You say, well, Jeff, what, what would it look like if we actually took this book from the Bible and we begin to act on it to where it became a reality in our lives? Well, one thing that would be helpful to remember is that God is actually setting the stage for great things in uncertain times. That's one of the messages of the book of Ruth, that it looks bad, circumstances are bad, but God is doing a mighty thing through circumstances individually and corporately as a nation. And here's the thing, if the United States government, if the economy comes completely tanks and we are all left with nothing that may just help us see as a nation that we have a problem with idolatry the idolatry of money of success of education of doing fun things the idolatrous nature of entertainment to what drives us is the next fun thing to do if all of that is stripped away it may humble us to where we look up as a nation to God and repent but Ruth also says, the message of the book of Ruth is, is that God is working salvation in tragedy. And as we'll see in these next few weeks, I hope that you stick with us, we're going to see that God wasted nothing, and God wasted none of her suffering, none of it at all. If you go to the last few verses of the book of Ruth, and we'll see how this story plays out in the next few weeks, the end of verse 21 in chapter 4, Boaz, who is the guy who will actually marry Ruth, uh, ladies, hashtag holla, like the guy is an awesome catch, as she is an awesome catch. Bo Boaz fathered Obed, verse 22, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. So here's a little point that often we overlook when it comes to the Bible, is that God takes pains to be very clear that he can use anyone from any background, Come on. I mean, she's from Moab, but yet she comes to faith in Jesus Christ, and God changes her. He places her within the lineage of David. So that means biologically King David is part Moabite. Wow. So you're saying, Jeff, that God can use people regardless of their background. Yes. And in fact, when you read the story of Scripture, God goes above and beyond making it clear that he does not often choose the wise of the world. He does not often choose the people that Wall Street says, well, she, Jesus, if you want to grow a great organization, why don't you go to Rome? 
I mean shot callers, ballers in the political arena. And if you want some thinkers, let's hop over to Athens and get the Greek philosophers. I mean, these guys are brilliant. But what Jesus says is, no, I'm going to go down to Galilee with some hicks who are hauling in fish. Then I'm going to go, I'm going to go to the cheap tax store that everybody knows. I'm going to find a little man named Matthew. And then I'm going to go like a really, really out there political group, and I'm going to get a man who was actually involved in the zealots who were killing Jews in large, like if there was a large crowd, they would carry a knife, and they would stab Jews that they knew who were aligned with the Romans. Whenever you see the word zealot, that's what it's talking about. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm not only going to choose these men to start my church but I'm going to go above and beyond and show my love and my power, and I'm going to choose one who I know will even betray me. Ever thought of that? Judas Iscariot. You see, God makes beautiful things with all of the wrong materials, and God grafted Ruth into his plan to redeem the world because Jesus came from the line of David. It's an awesome, awesome thing. You know, in in Naomi... When she's saying, man, life has turned me from pleasant to bitter. Even Jesus was honest. Remember on the cross when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was actually quoting scripture, y'all. That was Psalm 22, that was straight Bible, Old Testament. He was quoting scripture. So that should help us. You know, sometimes we, especially if you've been raised in church, you think the church is a place where we sing songs and we preach big sermons and everybody's, amen, but nobody's got any problems. The beauty of the gospel is that we know that God is there so we can actually be real with God and let him know what's going on in our hearts. Notice she didn't hold it in, but notice that she just said, this is what I'm feeling. But to understand that God uses tragedy to soften our hearts. I've seen it time and time again, guys, and I'm not even that old. How tragedy will come, but God will use the brokenness in a person who would otherwise be self-sufficient and hard-hearted to say, you know what, I need to look above and I need to look to God. You notice how there in, in the end of chapter one, how Naomi was trying to isolate herself. You know, if you've been through traumatic experiences, the natural response for many people is to go into isolation. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Isolation is not wise. It's not. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Proverbs 13, 20, whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. You see, when we get isolated, when we become isolated from other people who love Christ, we begin to stagnate. And whenever you get water and it just gets stagnated, it begins to stink after a while. Nothing good happens with stagnation. I want to encourage us as a faith family that regardless if things are going well or if we're walking through or have recently come through a tragic circumstance, please don't give in to the, to the enemy that says, just push people away. Say, let me be alone. Let me stay alone. Let me not go to a small group Bible study. Let me stay out of church. Let me not talk to anyone because I need to heal. Dogs do that when they get snake bit. But we are not animals. We are people. Made in the image of God. We are made for relationships. And notice what God did in his mercy. Even though Naomi said, leave me, God raised up a Ruth. 
And it's very possible that in our tragedies, God is allowing us to walk through that to bring people together for his glory. I think one of the greatest pictures in the entire book is that God receives everyone who comes to him regardless of their background. 